Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Spin Class. We're talking politics. I'm your host, Michael Fragan, here on the Nachum Siegel Network, NachumSiegel.com. Also on our route, Sheva, streaming around the world, Israel, national news slash radio. And we are proud to be sponsored by the S4 Group. S4 has a very informative weekly newsletter on politics and policy. I urge you to subscribe to go to S4GRP.com. Scroll down. You'll find the link to that weekly email on politics and policy, both federal and state level, S4.com. And we are post-New Hampshire. We're going to do a little different. I'm going to talk for for the episode. No guests. There's just so much to talk about. There's so much to get through. There's so much to decompress and unpack with regard to the New Hampshire primaries. The table has been reset, if you will. There is action on the Democratic side, on the Republican side, and we don't talk about the Democrats enough. So we're going to start off by talking about the Democrats and what happened in New Hampshire. Iowa was a little bit of a push, a little bit of a draw, 0.02% margin. Uh, Some of the delegates were decided by a coin flip, if you will, if you want to call that democracy. And what happened in New Hampshire was nothing short of a drubbing. Bernie Sanders, Vermont senator, okay, neighboring senator, home field advantage. It was known for quite some time that he was going to be quite formidable, that he was going, had double-digit leads in the polls, although that was not always so. At one point, Hillary was up in New Hampshire by leaps and bounds. But New Hampshire seems to have been a humiliating experience for Hillary Clinton the presumptive nominee, the steamroller campaign, raising copious amounts of money, having a vaunted campaign organization. Would she repeat the mistakes that her campaign made in 2008 against Barack Obama, a candidate to the left of her? So far, it's actually topsy-turvy. I hate to use that word, but it, it is in fact Right. If you remember 2008, Barack Obama stunned the political world in winning in Iowa. And then Hillary Clinton came back and won in New Hampshire. Now the two candidates went to a draw. But Sanders has absolutely clobbered her everywhere in the state. If you look at a map between the two, everywhere in the state, pretty much. It only seems that there was one, two, about four towns in the entire state that Hillary won. Uh, It's hard if you think about it, and if you're thinking about this, say, a month ago, two months ago, go back six months ago or four months ago, let's say when Joe Biden didn't get into the race, when Hillary sat for 11 hours in the Benghazi hearing and emerged unscathed, when she was setting fundraising records, you would think that there was absolutely positively no way that a democratic socialist who says, I want to raise your taxes, would be able to defeat the Clinton juggernaut. But it happened. And it happened in a huge way. Bernie Sanders got 151,578 votes. I think that's unofficial. Hillary Clinton got 95,249. That is a 55,000 vote difference for a democratic socialist from neighboring Vermont. And this with the Clintons having a love affair for decades at this point with New Hampshire, that's supposed to be their state. It's supposed to be a moderate state. It's supposed to be where 
independents can cross and go ahead and vote in either primary. They can be attracted to somebody who they feel is electable, somebody who could win. And now the Democrats go not to South Carolina. I know everybody's talking about South Carolina on the Republican side, but the Democrats don't go to South Carolina. They go to Nevada. And we talk about the firewall that Hillary has amongst African-American voters. Bernie Sanders is not so popular amongst African-Americans. Can Hillary go ahead and have that firewall? Well, that firewall doesn't exist until South Carolina comes along. And that South Carolina Democratic primary is not until February 27th. So you could have a position, a scenario where February 20th comes along, same day, South Carolina Republican primary, but the Nevada Democratic Caucus, Nevada, the Democratic vote is heavily union there. It's a much more diverse state, possibly much more similar in certain ways to a electorate that has gone left in the past and that went meaning it went for uh it went for hillary clinton back in 2008 but could uh, nevada instead go to a bernie sanders it's unclear but if that happens this is going to be a nightmare scenario for the clinton campaign and can they recover with when once you start once once their cracks start showing within the campaign itself once people start sniping at each other and that seems that it's happening it's been reported in various outlets that some of the campaign operatives are attacking each other they might bring new people in new blood who is responsible for the draw in Iowa who is responsible for the shellacking in New Hampshire well, some of, does somebody take the fall for that? Do they have to blow up the campaign a little bit? Do they have to make some changes? Do they have to retool? It's really hard to say what's going to happen, but there's going to be a very significant discussion at the highest levels of that campaign as to what went wrong and how they avoid another repeat of 2008 where they lost to the lesser-known left candidate. And the other question you have to ask with regard to the Clintons is, was Bill Clinton an asset or a liability? It's hard to see, really, at this point, they both, they get Bill Clinton out there. He's on the stump. They, they used him tremendously throughout the New Hampshire primary season, and it really doesn't seem to have made one iota of a difference. Very popular, Bill Clinton. But is he a spent political force? Are people really taking him and saying, oh, we got to listen to that guy because he's going to, well, he's Bill Clinton. That's it. I don't know. It seems to me that that, that, that political, as a political force, that that is kind of done. But let's talk about it's quite remarkable that Bernie Sanders, Jewish kid from Brooklyn, Kibbutznik. Is he now poised to pull off one of the great political upsets in history? And, you know, it's very early. Obviously, Iowa, New Hampshire, we got so much more. The political calendar, uh, you know, goes goes for a long time. But Bernie Sanders has one thing that allow, that will allow him to torment Hillary Clinton for quite some time. I shouldn't say it's just one one thing. 
two things, two major, major things. Number one is money. He seems to be able to raise money. He just holds a fundraiser, says, hey, we're doing a fundraiser, and let's everybody give money. One thing that's interesting is that 99% of Sanders donors, 99% can give more. That means only 1% have maxed out to him, which is incredible. That means people have already shown a willingness to give. They're gonna, they can keep giving if they want. Many, many, many of other campaigns cannot boast that kind of thing. The first thing most campaigns do is look for people to max out, and that's what they, that's where they go. Max out means $2,700 for the primary. Average donation to Bernie Sanders is $27. And what's the other thing that uh, it was descri- that was described as what Bernie Sanders has that Hillary Clinton doesn't have. It's the message. It's the 15-second elevator pitch. Bernie Sanders has it. Okay, what's is basically... There's tremendous inequality in the country. We're headed in the wrong direction. I'm going to raise your taxes, and I'm going to fix it because we're going to redistribute wealth. Well, I don't like it, but it's a message. And people who feel that they are getting shafted by the political system, are buying into that message in droves. It's not dissimilar from what's going on on the Republican side with Donald Trump, where many people are saying at the same time that they are getting screwed, so they want to go, they're going to go ahead and vote for the protest candidate, which in this case seems to be Trump. The establishment had a bad night in New Hampshire. Political establishments of both parties. But I don't want to digress too much from the Democrats right now. The incredible thing as well is that every Democrat, establishment Democrat, is with Clinton. Everyone, everywhere is with Clinton. All the endorsements are with Clinton. But yet Sanders seems to have the mojo, seems to have the momentum following him in this race. So we will see. You know, there's a lot of ways to go. There's a long, long way to go. Clinton is not... A slouch. She did not fold up her tent last time in 2008. She continued to fight. Uh, She won. You know, Barack Obama pulled up a string of victories, but Clinton came back. She won in Arkansas. She won in Massachusetts. She won in Oklahoma, Tennessee, Texas, a lot of the southern states. But Obama kept piling up victories as well. Then Hillary won in Michigan in March. We're talking about of 2008. She won in Florida. So won a lot of the big states. Barack Obama had a strategy that he went after a lot of the small states and the caucuses and went ahead and did that. Question is, will Sanders have that appeal, have the appeal to minority voters who make up so much of the Democratic Party electorate? And the one thing that a Democrat needs to be very concerned about right now, the Democratic Party needs to be very concerned about, is that if Bernie Sanders continues to gain gain traction, Will Mike Bloomberg step into the race? He's indicated a willingness to do that. It's certainly a problem for the Democrats uh, in a very significant way if they nominate Bernie Sanders. Mike Bloomberg steps into that centrist mold and certainly as a avowed capitalist and a successful capitalist probably will gain that vital center. Can he win? I'm very skeptical that any independent can win the presidential 
election. That's just the system does not allow that to happen. There are not enough states where you would see a third-party candidate doing that. Ross Perot, when he ran, the last time that there was a serious third party, we actually thought that an independent could could actually be nominated for president. I'm sorry, be win the election for president was Ross Perot back in 1992. And that essentially elected Bill Clinton in a plurality over George Bush. But there was an overarching issue for Ross Perot back then. It was the deficit. It was the jobs. It was the taxes. There was something, there was, there was an appeal there that I don't know that Mike Bloomberg, you know, the competence appeal is not so much of a visceral appeal. Yeah, his big issue is guns. I don't think guns play well in enough of the country to make that happen. But I wouldn't underestimate Mike Bloomberg. There's no way he's getting into the race unless he thinks he has a real, realistic path to victory. He's a data guy. He's a data-driven guy. He's certainly not going to do it as a protest, certainly not going to do it to be embarrassed. He's not that type of person. He's a serious person. And the Democrats should be wary of that. I'm sure he feels, or the many people feel at the, at the same time, that he would take away from both parties. He would, but I think he would take away more from the Democrats uh, in if that, in fact, happened. But the other thing to think about here, and we transition a little bit to the Republican side, okay? The enthusiasm of, Republic, of the voters in New Hampshire was quite breathtaking. You saw people waiting in line for hours to vote, waiting in traffic jams. There was one, I think, a traffic jam in Merrimack, New Hampshire, where it's, people had to wait in a line of cars for more than an hour and then stand on line again. Really uh, quite incredible when you think about it, the, uh, uh, where that, that many people came out and vote. Total vote of Republicans, 284,120. Total vote of Democrats, 250,000. 974. Once again, the Republicans, there seems possibly to be more enthusiasm on the Republican side. And just to finish off the Democratic analysis, the big issue, it seems, with regard to Hillary Clinton is the trust factor. Voters do not seem to trust her after all these years, after all this time that she was senator, after she was secretary of state. People liked her. People liked the job that she did. She, overall, she got great approval ratings. She had, she walked to election in New York for U.S. senator. But there so, seems to be something about her running for president that people don't seem that seem to like about her. And we've seen this happen in 2008. We're seeing this happen in 2016. It's going a little bit different. But it's certainly, certainly, uh, it's certainly like we've seen this before. So let's transition over to the Republican side. Really, okay, the polls were right. Donald Trump won. He won not just by a little. He won by a lot. He was uh, 55,000 votes better than John Kasich, his closest rival. And then everybody else was bunched up together. In fact, if you look at it, Donald Trump won twice in New Hampshire. Kind of the same way he, you know, thinks that, you know, he he lost in Iowa and then won twice. Why did why did I say that? Well, Donald Trump won a resounding victory. Yes, 35 percent. And there was some, I think, you know, some exit polling that also said that about 50 percent of Republican voters don't like him and don't want him to be president. But the bottom line is he came in first 
And everybody else was bunched up within a couple points of each other. Kasich at 15.8%. Ted Cruz, 11.7%. Jeb Bush, 11%. Marco Rubio, 10.6%. Everybody else sitting there. And Chris Christie at 7.4%. But from a voting perspective, all within a couple thousand votes of each other. Now, Chris Christie and Carly Fiorina, who at the bottom have dropped out, they're still they're they're out of the race, which is uh, probably going to be overall good for Marco Rubio, right? Chris Christie being out, he won't torment him anymore. Uh, does Chris Christie's support go to another governor? I would say it's very very possible uh, that you know Kasich, Jeb Bush become the beneficiaries of that. Carly Fiorina, not a tremendous amount of support. Uh, she had kind of faded for the from the race after having some very stellar debate performances way, way, way back when. And Jim Gilmore still in there, outlasting so many different candidates, which uh, which in and of itself, we'll have to do a whole podcast on that. I have to do a whole show on Jim Gilmore, the Jim Gilmore phenomenon. But let's go back to the Republican race. John Kasich comes in second. Two candidates staked their future. They staked everything on on New Hampshire. I want to say, I you could say George Bush, uh, sorry, Jeb Bush did the same, but Jeb Bush has an organization in the southern states. Jeb Bush has an organization in South Carolina. Jeb Bush can effectively has the money to say he can go on and move on to the next level. But John Kasich really doesn't. He staked everything on the fact that he's going to come in a strong showing in New Hampshire and therefore be able to raise money. And Chris Christie really staked everything in New Hampshire. Yes, he tried. He made an effort in Iowa. Uh, you know, his courtship of Congressman Steve King, the anti-immigration crusader, extremely conservative. I find it a little bit uh, – well, you got to admire Chris Christie for trying. Let's put it that way. But – thinking he was going to get uh, Congressman King's endorsement, I think was a little bit wishful thinking. But Chris Christie at one point had peaked. He had the, he had the endorsement of the president of the state Senate in New Hampshire, as well as the Speaker of the House, as well as the most influential paper, the Manchester Union Leader, which uh, has, is, has tremendous influence uh, in New Hampshire. But Chris Christie did not seem to be able to get over... The hump. He never seemed to be able to to get his campaign on fire. There was a certain point when you saw when w- w- with regard to national security that it seemed to be happening, but was it the bridge? I don't know. I mean, I can't really blame the bridge if with the Chris Christie. I think what Chris Christie, what happened to Chris Christie was the fact that he didn't have a strategy. He was out trumped by Trump. He didn't have a strategy to deal with Trump. And the blunt talking people that the people who like the blunt talking type of bluster were with Trump. They probably would have been with Chris Christie. Many of them would have been with Chris Christie. Many of them would have looked for that for the person who tells it like it is. But instead, they had a person who told it even tells it even more like it is, if you will. And John Kasich has done the opposite. John Kasich has decided I'm going to be Mr. Nice Guy. I'm going to run a positive, focused campaign. I thought he was excellent in the last debate. And he really had – look, he came in second, 55,000 votes behind Trump. But still, for where he was, for what was going on, it was uh, definitely very, very strong showing. But now let's look at the other thing. Ted Cruz finished third. Nobody's talking about that right now. Nobody's talking – everybody's talking about the governors, the talk, you know, the Kasich – Bush, Christie, little group, the, the establishment lane, which is now filled with Kasich, Bush, and Rubio. And 
you're talking about with Ted Cruz, the sitting there in third place. You know, remember third is the new first that we saw from uh, from Iowa, which I thought was a quite incredible phenomenon. And we had, uh, you know, we had Josh Mandel on last week. We had to talk about uh, Marco Rubio, and everybody was saying, "Oh, Rubio, Rubio, Rubio! You finished in third place. It's like you're giving a victory speech." And the plan was to finish second in New Hampshire and then go ahead and win South Carolina. He immediately started rolling up endorsements. He got Tim Scott from South Carolina. He started getting various uh, players all around. He had Trey Gowdy, South Carolina. He still has them. Obviously, South Carolina is still in play for him. But coming in fifth in New Hampshire has got to be terribly deflating. Clearly, the debate played a part. The big mojo, the big momentum that he was hoping for didn't happen. And there's no question that he was unnerved by it. Normally unflappable, Marco Rubio was unnerved for quite some time. One thing is interesting, and I I saw this, is that apparently Chris Christie warned Rubio backstage Saturday night before the ABC News debate. And Rubio said to Christie, I understand I'm going to have a hard time tonight. And then... Christie said, yeah, I've got, you know, it's coming, basically. But Rubio owns it. In his speech after New Hampshire, he said, it's on me. I didn't do well, and it's not going to happen again. Well, hopefully, you know, for Marco Rubio and his supporters, he will be in a position that it will not happen again, and he'll be able to get that mojo back. But I will tell you the extent to the spin that, Rubio supporters had on Saturday night after I what you know I couldn't believe it watching it, but the extent of the spin that they had was an overdrive about you know oh well, we're fundraising off of this it's 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 he's just ramming home his points they don't if you go back and look at the episode masterful by Chris Christie but cringeworthy on the part of Marco Rubio so now let's talk about how the race shapes up because I think it's a oh you got one thing about Ted Cruz. And, you know, we're doing this free wheel, so I'm, I'm kind of throwing from point to point here, which uh, I think is, uh, you know, hopefully get all the points in before we run out of time. Ted Cruz spent almost no money in New Hampshire. In fact, Donald Trump spent almost no money in New Hampshire. Jeb Bush, 11%, 31,000 vo- uh, 31, votes. Who knows how much he spent so far? You know, it's, uh, I don't think the Super PAC numbers are in, but you, you got to figure he spent, you know, in the tens, uh, tens of millions for that 11%. And he bear- but he did best Marco Rubio, which has got to be quite humbling and embarrassing for Senator Rubio. The governors together, the three governors, okay, Kasich, Bush, and Christie, about 100,000 votes. However... Ted Cruz and Donald Trump together, 130,000 votes. Almost, almost 50% of the electorate right there. Okay, add in Ben Carson, who got 6,500 votes. The protest vote, meaning those in the protest category. Ted Cruz, yes, he's a politician, but certainly in the protest category, is running very well. So again, the establishment is... Definitely got to be worried on both ends. Democratic and Republicans now have to worry. The Republicans in particular have to worry who can stop Donald Trump and who can stop Ted Cruz. If it's Trump versus Cruz going through the primary season, the establishment has got to, has got to be very, very nervous about that as to what might happen. 
And there's no reason right now for Jeb Bush to get out. There's no reason for John Kasich to get out to give way to Marco Rubio after his poor showing in New Hampshire. There's really just no rationale for that. So now we go to South Carolina. South Carolina is the, well, let's just say known for some really dirty tricks in campaigns. If you recall in 2000, after John McCain beat George W. Bush handily in New Hampshire, he went to South Carolina, and there were all kinds of rumors about illegitimate children and all kinds of racial overtones with regards to John McCain. He ended up losing the revenge of the establishment, the establishment, if you recall. Now we think of John McCain as establishment. The establishment did not like John McCain at all. He's the maverick, the outsider, kind of. In a way, even though they dislike him tremendously, in a way, it's kind of the Ted Cruz. Ted Cruz, as being probably being hated by John McCain, but you know, Ted Cruz is certainly not uh, in the establishment. The establishment lane has kind of taken its root as the moderate lane these days. But who comes out of this establishment lane? Who becomes? Who can coalesce all these people? If you look at the calendar as we move on. Where does somebody like John Kasich pick up his next next victory? You got to figure that in South Carolina, heavily conservative, as well as the March 1st primaries, Alabama, Arkansas, Oklahoma, Tennessee, Texas, and Virginia. Okay? Very, and, you know, those are very conservative southern states. Yes, you have Massachusetts, Minnesota, Colorado, and... Uh, I'm sorry, and Alaska, all at the same time. But really, the big ones are Texas, 155 delegates, Georgia, 76 delegates, Alabama, 50 delegates, Virginia, 49 delegates. That's where a lot of there's going to be a huge test, multi-state at the same time, everybody having to organize, having to get their troops together. If you think that a lot of effort was spent now on a single, think about it, a lot of effort was spent so much on a single state like New Hampshire, a small state where you can literally travel the whole state in a week. Well, that's kind of the polar opposite of what's going to happen on March 1st, and it's almost there. So it's going to be difficult. Cruz, certainly you have to look at him now. He's got the money. He's got the organization. He's organized, and he's got momentum. He won decisively in Iowa. He came in third, but managed a respectable showing, really spending very little time and money in New Hampshire. Probably what Hillary Clinton should have done is just conceded New Hampshire. She was way, way behind. She should have just said, hey, Bernie, take it. Take it. You're the you're the local guy. But for I maybe it was some visceral emotional decision that she felt that she had to compete in New Hampshire because, you know, the love affair because she won there in 2008. I think a huge mistake. She lost by so much, such a huge margin. Huge mistake on her part. So let's go back also. If you look, let's just go back and see who could win. You got to wait till March 8th if you're John Kasich, really, to think of a state that you, it's well-suited for you, which is Michigan with 59 delegates. Okay? It's a long time. Long time to go without a victory and a type of organization. Now, maybe in a crazy year like this with Cruz and Trump fighting it out tooth and nail and Rubio trying to sneak in somewhere right now, and Jeb Bush lurking in the background with good organization. He has organization in a lot of these states. Perhaps 
you sneak in there with a victory or you stay close in order to win some of these some of these Midwestern big states. Illinois coming up on March 15th. Florida is going to be one crazy primary, I would imagine. You know, Donald Trump way ahead, but you also have Rubio and Bush if they're still in there. I don't see a reason necessarily right now to get out. March 15th, Florida is going to be one interesting primary, I have to say. So, look, politics after New Hampshire, we have no more clarity as to what might happen. In fact, both races seem to be totally scrambled at this point. It's anybody's guess. If you want to go ahead and add up all the anti-Trump votes, they do they do get higher. They are more than the Trump votes. But don't underestimate Donald Trump, my friends. Seriously? I mean, the fact is that he did get 100,000 votes in New Hampshire. He's real. He's real. He might not be as real, as hyped, as incredible as he says he is. But it will, then again, it would absolutely be impossible to be as good as Donald Trump says he is. So that's it for this week. Thanks for joining us here on Spin Class. And we will stay tuned for the Jew in the City Speaks here on the Nachum Siegel Network. And once again, we are sponsored by the S4 Group. S4GRP.com. Go to the bottom, subscribe to the weekly email. See you next week. 